Greetings and welcome to episode two of Lama to Boot. Today, along with our friend Ali, we're going to continue our discussion of non-attachment and also delve into what it means to seek true, lasting happiness. But if you want a direct, personal experience of those things, just listening to us talk about them is not going to be enough to get you there, which is why a daily practice of meditation is so important. If you're already a meditator, we encourage you to maintain a connection with a qualified teacher who can help you to develop your practice over time and avoid the common pitfalls associated with your particular situation. If you have yet to begin meditating, stick around at the end of this podcast and I'll share some ideas on how you can get started. All right, let's get the show on the road. I got a little too inside my head after our conversation, Allie, because I started thinking about where to start with Buddhism. And then I started thinking about, well, I also have to think about what's a good starting point for fish. And then I have to make those two meet. And then it would be nice if I had like a specific song that could sum up both the Buddhist thing and the fish thing. And it's like, you could really get down a rabbit hole with this Mm. stuff. (laughs) But so I figured a good place to start since we're talking about non-attachment is like how many frigging songs they have. Any given year, I think lately they've been doing, like, in the course of a year, like, playing around 250 different songs. Mm -hmm. Like, um, so, I mean, I don't mean, like, 20 times one song. I mean, like, 250 individual different songs in the course of a year. Perfect example of that is they did Madison Square Garden in 2017. And uh, they did 13 nights, and they never repeated a song. And their shows are like two and a half hours long. And so for 13 nights, two and a half hour shows, never repeated a song. They did like 250 songs in the course of that run. And like no band can do that. And it, as you start listening to Fish, you figure out too, a lot of the stuff is pretty complex. Like there's like compositions that are not easy to play. And, mm-hmm. and they're not always perfect either. But mm-hmm. th- how else would you do that? Like how else would you play 250 songs in 13 days and make them all exactly perfect? Like it wouldn't happen. And, and there's another like non-attachment thing. But that's part of the reason why it's like so groundless when you go to this experience is like you have no idea what you're going to hear. Like no idea. I mean, we mm-hmm. guess because it's fun. Like we, we engage mm-hmm. in guessing. But um, another fun thing about it was it was 13 nights, so it was called the Baker's Dozen, and they paired up with, I think, Federal Donuts, and had, like, so each night was a donut flavor, so there was, like, a, a like a jelly night, or a jam night, where they played, like, where they jammed a lot, and there was, like, a chocolate night, where they did, like, a chocolate rain, and, like, a couple other, like, weird covers, and so each night was a donut theme, Um which is another another day's conversation is humor mm. because like they're just ah, incredibly yeah. silly. <laughs> yeah, it's an, is there humor in Buddhism too, or is that not a parallel? This is a good. Question. Uh, yeah, I think that's a definite parallel. I actually think that a sense of humor is probably one of the most important things to develop if you're going to actually continue to practice for a whole lifetime. You know, because uh, some of the teachings. I guess can be a little heavy in terms of what they're actually directing us to get in touch with. Um, and I think that the humor kind of just provides like that natural, uh, balance to that. And I, I think that it, if I could be so presumptuous to say like a real sense of humor starts to kind of naturally, naturally develop when you, um, start to kind of like get real about, life like getting in touch with that disc the sense of discomfort and suffering and just you know trying to find some kind of honesty 
inside of yourself and how am I going to like walk through this life? I think a real kind of humor develops that's not too like cheap or cynical, you know? Um, it's like you can just laugh and cry at the same time sort of thing. Actually, a lot of teachers have talked about humor pretty extensively, especially someone that Adam and I both uh, really love, uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. He was a Tibetan teacher that sort of first brought Buddhist teachings to the Western world back in the day, like 60s and 70s. So he spends a lot of time talking about humor and yeah, we should definitely get fully into that at some point. This I wouldn't have known. I don't know. I guess I've only met a handful of like Tibetan llamas, but I, I didn't get to find them funny or like lighthearted. Right. And not right. all of them are. No. You know, okay. For sure. But I think it is, it is, uh, it's actually a good non-attachment tool because like, mm. you know, part of the reason the story of the Buddha is significant is because it highlights the need to stay to a middle path, you know, to avoid these extremes and stuff that, you know, we're talking about how reality works and how our experience works. And like, that's heavy shit, really. Like, what are we, I mean, we're talking about big stuff and you could take super duper too seriously, right, you know, like, right. and that's an extreme, you know, this is important stuff, but you can take it too seriously. And so, um, I think humor is like a great tool when you're able to be silly, you're able to do stuff that you would never do if you were taking yourself too seriously. You have, there's a freedom in, in having a sense of humor about how you approach things, you know, like mm. that opens up all kinds of doors and it also leaves you unencumbered by worrying about what you may have done that was silly or, or, you know, embarrassing, you know, like mm -hmm. if you're able to just let it go and let it be funny, like that's such a, a better way to go. And I'm not there yet. But I see progress, and you know, I know like when those times happen, and I go, "Wow, I'm glad I didn't take myself too seriously there, you know, in that situation." Or, you yeah, know, those things do happen. Humor, in a way, is kind of like the quality, the the sort of unencumbered quality of being free from circumstances, you know, like being able to dance with life. Sort of, it's like humor is actually a natural quality of that uh, experience. It makes sense. That's also a good way of, to, to talk about the middle way with that again. Like those two extremes that the Buddha's life demonstrated of this like uh, life of comfort and life of uh, asceticism um, highlight the difference between like a materialist approach and a nihilistic approach. And so like the materialist approach or like an eternalist approach is like this idea that um, everything that we do all of our actions and the things we say and all the things in this external world around us, that matters, at, you know, all the time and it really matters. And, and so, like, in other words, like, you can uh, arrange your external environment to create your happiness, you know, is kind of the, the, the theory there. Or the other extreme would be, like, none of this stuff matters at all. So I can abuse my body and uh, not eat, and that will be the way that I see that happiness has, is completely not dependent on the external world. And so it's these two extremes of like everything really matters or nothing matters at all, and both of them are wrong, but they're both a little true. <laughs> so you have to find the way between them, you know. When you say wrong, what do you mean wrong? Well, on their own. But they're, according they're, to, like, I guess compared to what? 
Well, so like if you're entirely focused on the material world, that will never alone be a path to happiness. And so an example of that would be like in the Buddha's life, like affluence and having everything you want at your fingertips. You know, we see now incredibly rich, powerful people who just want more, you know, and just become greedier. Like you'll never through acquiring things establish a lasting true happiness. And similarly, you can't just not worry about anything. <laughs> you know, like it, that doesn't work either, you know. I see. Okay. Is it interesting? So when you when you use those words like wrong, it's like about as related to whether it will work to achieve happiness or live happily. Yeah, and maybe and okay. that's, uh, that I probably should be more clear about that too. So the whole point of all of this practice is to establish a, a real genuine happiness you know like the, the the underlying view here is that there is one thing upon which all of us uh all of our quality is based and that is that we all are seeking happiness like everybody wants to be happy all okay. beings want to be happy no being wants to suffer like that's we're all alike in that regard it may manifest differently you know it may look differently like what we feel each feel like happiness is like but it is that is the the underlying view of all of this is that we all want to be happy so all of this is a method of finding real happiness and uh transcending suffering okay and like maybe also to just add like the sense of um, happiness that I think we're talking about also has to do with like sort of coming to an authentic view of reality and learning how to um, you know exist in accord with that view like other and that's kind of the whole thing with the reason we could say um, holding on to like a fixed separate sense of self um, causes our suffering because it's like is to the degree we cling to that as some sort of true reality, we're just like out of step with the way things are. So there's like a kind of constant friction going on. So it's sort of like maybe the happiness that we're talking about is some kind of um, coming to a clear, authentic view of the way things are and learning how to uh, basically walk in step with that. Okay. Which is like, there's, there's this, like so this line surrender to the flow is like a classic oh. fish lyric and um i think it's from the lizards yeah, right the trick, yeah, was, the trick was, to was to surrender to, to the, the flow, flow. <laughs> yeah. and um and it's like there's a lot of lyrics like that where it's just that's just a great life teaching you know and like i learned that long before i knew anything about buddhism or meditation mm-hmm. and i took it to heart you know what i mean like the trick was to surrender to the flow you know mm. and i part of that was like I learned it on the lot in the you know on the on the parking lots and in the in the the beer lines and right. you know like like that's just it works you know and that's that's kind of what you were just saying Mitch about like this idea of um just being with reality like jiving with like actually yeah. being open to and realistically working with your environment mm-hmm. and yourself as it is and yeah it's like sometimes to me I just I find I just can't help but feel like we're not getting to the real heart of the matter when we just say like happiness or like we're trying to be happy i mean yeah it's fair enough like that's just the standard sort of 
vocabulary that's developed and it definitely does communicate something but it's something more than that because no one's just like uh sort of conventionally happy all the time you know what i mean we're talking about definitely something deeper than just that temporary sense of happiness versus sadness or whatever is sort of like something that can include all of that which I mean, I know that's what you're saying, but just to like, I've, I think that maybe sometimes people hear that as being like a little bit cheap. Like you guys are just wanting to be happy all the time. Like like on Soma. You know. Right. It sounds a little <laughs> bit like, uh, I don't know, head in the clouds or something, which is not really what we're going for. Happy, if we use the word happiness, I would say it's happiness that is not contingent on any mm. external circumstances. Yeah. It's like peace. So, like, like it that. is a, a self-arising happiness mm. that you generate it yeah. like a sun. Like, you're like a sun of happiness that's just constantly yeah. burning. You know, like, it, it doesn't matter what's happening around you or anything else, you know. Is that like inner peace? That, I think that works, basically, yeah. Bliss is another word that's, that's frequently used. And I like that because, like, that is kind of an English word that nobody says. <laughs> right, <laughs> nobody right. Nobody really says, like, mm-hmm. I feel blissful today. Right. But it is, but like, that, an To me, that still happiness. means, like, up here, like, elevated. Like, Yeah. And I think the utility of using these words is the actual reason, the practical aspect of it, is that we are talking about something that is beyond... Mm happiness and suffering but it's good you know i think there's some fear when we think right. about like oh getting like it's a little scary to mm-hmm. think about and i remember somebody told me that rinpoche uh Kemba carter rinpoche who is our teacher and the abbot of the monastery uh um i, I was told that he once said at a teaching at, at ktd if i told all of you that there's a bus outside that's going to take you to nirvana i don't think anybody would want to just go and get on it Right. Because the idea is it's a little scary to, like, leave all this. Like, we have some attachment to uh-huh. these ideas of happy and sad. And we, we, we're addicted to this, like, cycle of, like, being happy and being sad mm-hmm. and being happy and being sad. And so we, that's how we define happiness is this journey between extremes. But what we're talking about with, like, enlightenment right. and transcending that is something that has no extremes like that Mm -hmm. but it's good and i think that's where the utility is is to like point out that like that is like true bliss is being beyond those extremes but it's i think everybody Mm -hmm. i think we'd all have to be honest you get a little pit in your stomach when you think about leaving behind yeah like happy and sad like that's a little scary you know we've gotten comfortable in our misery (laughs) and with what we know yeah uh it's it's sort of like we have to practically relate to uh, the whole idea of going beyond conditionality as something we want. That's like our, the only way we can move toward it because that's our, you know, it's like, I don't know, the Dalai Lama seems to have a lot of quotes going around about how we actually really do need desire to like move toward awakening, you know? It's like mm-hmm. we're not really... You can't really afford to give up desire it's like it's kind of like a that's we have to want to wake up so we're like using it more skillfully sort of mm-hmm. oh that sounds like advanced dharma but i like it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i mean he probably is i'm sure he's presenting pretty profound stuff under the rug 
in that way, you know. Like when we think about happiness now, there's always something we're attached to. Like it's usually getting a thing we're attached to. You know, like um, I like craft beers. I like fish shows. Mm. You know, like when I I'm at a fish show with craft beer, that's awesome. <laughs> like right. I'm happy. You know, but I'm dependent on. It's dependent on having those things. You know, mm. and so if you could have a happiness that was not dependent on getting something, you know, not dependent on anything else, like that's actually kind of, it's, it is profound, but it's also incredibly simple. You know, it's like when you think about the fact that like you always need a thing to happen to be happy. Right. Uh, if you take that out of the equation, you could just be happy naturally, <laughs> organically. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then would we do simple. anything that every time you say stuff like this, I feel like I would just sit here. And not do anything. That's a good question. I think you keep doing everything. I mean, that's the whole thing of, like, if it's a state that's not dependent on anything, then you can just go ahead and continue on with everything you need to do, you know? It's like saying, you know, it's like no one thing rather than nothing, (laughs) you know? Uh, That sounds different. That sounds subtle but important, right? Because otherwise, if I didn't have to do anything to be happy, like, why would we be making this podcast like why would we do anything if right if it didn't make us happy like so so like what adam was saying um you know we're talking about like a state of happiness that's not that's we could say dependent on nothing right but what i was just saying was um you could hear it as it's dependent on no one thing so it it requires no uh reference point because it's like a self-existing state of happiness that we already have so therefore there's also no conflict with everything that you may need to do in the course of your daily life for example and i don't actually think there's any real problem with doing things you like i mean you know we're all doing this because it has something to do with things we're interested in and there might be something that could be communicated that would help people find more meaning in the things that they're interested in and I don't think there's any real problem there honestly when there's no attachment present you're able to enjoy Mm. everything in in a much just a pure expansive way because you're not tying it you're not making anything contingent on anything else (laughs) you're not like thinking about when something's going to end or fearing when you're going to lose lose this thing you know so you can all the things that you enjoy in your regular experience can still be enjoyed um, but they're just enjoyed in such a completely full and pure way when you're unafraid of losing them you know and this is kind of like um well, the conversations we got into briefly, Ali, about like dating too, where like if you can be with a person and not be fearing that in that relationship ending, you know, and be open to whatever's about to come, that type of connection is just mm. it's much more fulfilling, you know, and it's sort of like we've just got the wrong end of the stick too. It's like we we are in the habit of uh, associating our state of happiness or contentment or satisfaction with things when really it's always the mind that's experiencing the happiness or the pleasure like certain things might conjure it up but it's not the things it never is the things you know so it's like sort of just having the discernment to recognize that 
um, the experience is taking place internally, like in our minds or in our heart or what, however one might want to say it. Um, and then like, that's a huge light bulb going off because it, it's like, Oh, I, it's, if it's not in the things, then it's in me and it doesn't depend on the things. So wouldn't we want that? <laughs> you know, like there's a certain amount of just like, we all want to enjoy. We spend a lot of time, right. Thinking about how we're going to enjoy our lives day by day. Like, so wouldn't we want like real enjoyment that never really ends or depends on anything. It sounds good. Sounds <laughs> I mean, so hedonistic. Sen- but there, that's kind of what I'm getting at is there is a certain sense of um, just like pleasure involved with this area. I think that that's, that's a reality, but it's not anything sort of cheap or um, like we've been saying all along. Uh, it's, you know, unconditional delight or enjoyment. That's a real uh, according to the teachers through the years, you know, that's a very real experience. That's sort of like the result of, of practice is more and more, um, you know, you come to be in a state of continual delight that doesn't depend on anything. Pure pleasure, what, however you want to say it. Like the, the Buddhas are always described as being like in a state of constant bliss um, and enjoyment. And, you know, you can see that definitely in the, life examples of the great lineage teachers too is like they really um they enjoy their experience fully because they're not attached to it um and i mean we i definitely think we can do that too little by little and i think just a point of clarification too uh that that maybe we're saying is like uh when we say like attachment that also can be aversion you know because mm. attachment is like being attached to not wanting something you know so we're kind of saying the same thing attachment and aversion yeah similar I th- and i think that, like too just to like the, the distinction between like what we're talking about and like actual like hedonism is that i mean someone who's like a hedonist is in a constant uh search for pleasure you know which is very much not what we're talking about here this is kind of just like that quality of um, self-existing kind of enjoyment that's not dependent on um, any one particular experience to conjure it up is the key point here, I think. Whereas, I mean, I don't really know what the uh, ethos of hedonism is per se, but I I think you're in a constant search for pleasure (laughs) and that's all you care about, which is like an extreme, obviously. So I think the difference is like, you're not pursuing anything. Right, right. Like right. whatever comes your way is if it, it is you're you're kind of welcoming any experience mm-hmm. and and just being open yeah. to your experience and being connected and present with your experience is itself uh, generating this constant bliss, mm-hmm. you know. One of the, the internal so that makes versus me, external. Yeah, yeah. That's but in any case it's our minds that are experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Like, so our whole experience is it internal. And then we sort of make this arbitrary determination that stuff that's outside my skin is external, mm-hmm. you know, but it's still, we're experiencing it with okay. our minds, you know, mm-hmm. Allie, were you a philosophy major too? Yes. That's, cool. So was, so was Mitchell. Me too. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Where are you right music. now, Allie? Sorry. Oh, I'm in New York <laughs> city. New York. Okay, okay. I didn't know where. You're. Yeah, it's fair. Cool. Yeah. 
By the way, Fish did I, just announce the New Year's run at Madison Square Garden, December 29th, 30th, 31st, and January that's 1st. That's cool. Four nights. You'll have to go. That's somewhat <laughs> cool. I have to remember this. Oh, yeah. Someone, someone I was talking to said, like, his, his friend gets, like, free tickets to Madison. I was telling him about this, and he gets, and he was like, yeah, like, she gave me once, but it was, like, for fish. I don't know if he went or not. He was like, I don't Oh, wow. I know. So, but I don't. Awesome. I don't know. But well, if you got a hookup, let me know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know if I do. But I thought that was open. TVD. Yeah. Um, and I, I was thinking so hard. Like I, I, I do not have the money to go. Um, I cannot go. But I was. I really thought about it hard, just because I would love to take you. And oh, that was like fun. the one thing I was thinking. Like I could maybe I'll just go for one day. Yeah. Take Allie because like it. That's that's part of it. Is like you got to go with good people. Like, because I can imagine, like, walking in there, like, not knowing what's going on. I mean, I think you would still have a great mm-hmm. time. But, like, it's so much about the connection with people. And there's so much depth that's going on that, like, it's nice, like, to, if it's, like, your first show to have somebody lean over and go, they haven't played this song in 10 years. Right, like, right. You're lucky uh, to be I here, see. You know? Okay. Because like, that's that why kind I of say. stuff happens. It yeah. sounds like explain it. It's like going to a sport you don't know anything about. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be yeah. going like, why are they carrying around Uno cards? What's that person <laughs> doing with their finger in the air? Like these okay. are all things that like we know. You know, why yeah. did everybody in the arena just lay down on the ground at the same time? <laughs> yeah, that sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fish heads. I know it's been a long time since we got an all fall down signal. So let's just call that wishful thinking, okay? And if you don't know what I was talking about, I'm sure we'll get to Fish's secret language at some point in a future episode. And considering Lama Mitchell and I are English speakers connected with a Tibetan Buddhist lineage, I'm sure we've got some things to share about the mystique and the barriers of an unknown language. But that's for another day. Until then, be sure to check us out at LamaTaboot.com or at LamaTaboot on Instagram. You can follow Lama Mitchell's Instagram at Lama Mitchell Singletary. Last name is spelled S-I-N-G-L-E-T-A-R-Y. And you can find me at LamaAdam.com. I've got an Instagram too, but it's yet to be seen whether I'll actually do anything with it. So I definitely recommend my website. As I said up top, if you'd like to begin a daily practice of meditation, we're here to help you. Just check the events section on lamataboot.com for upcoming classes and workshops or email us at lamataboot at gmail.com and we'll be happy to get you connected with an experienced teacher. Attachment and unmindfulness are strong habits and if we're serious about overcoming them, there is no substitute for the personalized attention of a teacher. So even if you don't reach out to us, we recommend you find an authentic teacher connected with an authentic lineage. Pro tip, don't ever be afraid to ask who was your teacher. That can tell you a lot about whether it's worth taking the leap. Okay, thanks for hanging with us. We hope you learned something and that you'll do your best to put it into practice. May all beings benefit from our time here today. Talk to you next week. 